Hey everyone, and welcome to the Central Church Podcast. While we're in lockdown, we've put together some short reflections and spiritual practices to help get us through. We hope that during this time, these podcasts find you well and help you to connect with God. Hi everyone, it's Carrie here, coming at you from week 14 of lockdown here in New South Wales, 2021. This podcast episode is a conversation that Luke had with Linda Pesavento and Ashley Sewell about holding both lament and praise together. And it comes out of these little videos that we crafted together as a community, where we each shared the things that are giving us grief and pain and what we're finding difficult during this lockdown, as well as those things that we are hopeful for, that we're thankful for, and that we're praising God for. And what we created was an attempt for us to be able to hold together both our lament and our praise and to not deny either one. And so Luke has a really wonderful conversation with Linda and Ashley about the wisdom and the gift of being able to hold those things together. It's a bit of a long conversation, but one that's really worth listening to. And we thought about breaking it into two episodes, and then we just thought, ah, nah, you can pause it at any time if you need to. So we're going to start it by just playing you the audio of our um, Lament and Praise videos to refresh you on what we've all been feeling, and then Luke jumps straight in with the conversation. We really hope you enjoy it. See ya. It began with the announcement of another lockdown and the anxiety surfaced in our bodies. Bondi and Bankstown suddenly on our minds. We cancelled everything as cases climbed and COVID-0 became officially out of reach. Claustrophobic feels as days at home became weeks. The drudgery of daily tasks with loved ones too far and too close. Ennui, the energy that is lost with the loss of excitement. Our personal freedoms restricted. Friends and family on FaceTime instead of face-to-face. It's just not the same. Good grief, it's Gladys again. Greeting us with numbers bouncing higher, gloomy predictions and stories of grieving families. Lack of hugs is the hardest. Quiet houses without the normal hum of hospitality. Isolate until you return a negative test, but when will this pandemic end? The information is confusing, misinformation swirling, and the ICU is staffed by our own dear friends. Juggling that work-life balance with the relentlessness of kids always home, always within earshot, always loud. A litany of things lost. Holiday plans, birthday parties, functioning right arms, and futures as they seemed before. Working outside the home at a tidy desk, campus life at university, coffee dates and corporate worship, time with elderly parents and grandbabies, and doubles tennis matches, a sense of security and normality, our mental health. Missed milestones, mums unable to fly for weddings, and that newborn smell of a fresh niece or nephew won't be there much longer. 
Overseas families have never felt further away. Parents become teachers and teachers continue to parent and politicians spin and proclaim and spin again. Questions from reporters that are never quite answered because nobody knows. Maybe they do, but they're not going to tell us what life will be like or when this will all be over. Rage becomes relapse, routines are forgotten, and the restlessness we feel is unending. Screen time and sleep are my only companions. The tedium is tiresome, and I think we'll all need a huge detox for the wine, chocolate, or endless scrolling we've done to kill time and keep the days ticking over. My understanding of God's power to save and rescue and heal feels more nebulous than before. The vaccine rates rise locally, but the WHO is calling for equality. The poor and exploited have once again been forgotten. What does it mean to follow Jesus in this tenuous time? Who are the most vulnerable in our community and what is my responsibility to them? What is the common good? Where are you, God, in all of this? And when can I get on an aeroplane and see my mum? Exhaling long and slow to see if that helps me to not yell at my kids while on Zoom for work, Zoom for church, Zoom for fun. And when I zoom out and open my heart to this precious world where lack of medical facilities meets armed conflict in crowded airports as empire retreats, I see men, women, and children just like us. We need you, Jesus. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. For an abundance of things, O oh God, we give you praise. The beauty found in backyards, for birdsong, blue skies, and beach walks. For community, our church, other close connections, and the longing we feel. For living as guests on Darawal country, the diversity of land, sea, and sky. The enjoyment of small, even mundane things. For FaceTiming family and friends and finding togetherness from afar. All the gracious ways you, God, fill the gaps, gently grounding us in your goodness. For hope and the internet, just imagine for a moment if this happened in the 1980s. For the joining of our hearts and tears with yours, O oh God and the testing of whether the joy of the Lord really is our strength. For the kindness of family and friends, neighbours and strangers, surprise phone calls, snail mail and gifts dropped at the door. Our LGA, praise before its size. Within its boundaries we find the mountains and the sea, local creeks and parks. For laughter, memes and the endless miming of, you're on mute. For the narrowing of our lives to our neighbourhoods, we give you thanks. For this has helped us know our neck of the woods in new ways. We're thankful for ocean swims and winter water, the Olympics and less social obligations. The gift of finishing projects long procrastinated, for rethinking priorities and new possibilities. For quiet, rest and space for sunsets and sunrises and the slowness to savour them. For time, expanding, contracting, 
lying, dragging, the tensions of time as both gift and burden. All this unexpected goodness we find under the uniformity of days. For the ability to be vaccinated, we are grateful. And for your spirit infusing science to give us AstraZeneca, Pfizer, Moderna. We watch kids play with the wildness of what's all the fuss and take long exhalations when it's all too much. For yarning and wandering with friends and for the way we're both grateful for and exhausted by Zoom, we praise you. Because it's you, God. Always you. Only you. You alone who sustains and upholds. Thank you that we are not alone. Thank you for holding this wildly spinning planet. Thank you that your plans for this world are good. Thank you that neither life nor death can separate us from your love. So welcome, Linda, Ashley. We're having a conversation here about the idea of lament and praise and how we hold those things in our lives. So Linda is uh, currently working in her own private practice in counselling and curating uh, the She Is Project as well, which is an online community which shares, uh, I think, encouraging and vulnerable stories of, of women. Um, and she's also, Linda, previously been a pastor in a church and is now no longer doing that. Some other amazing, amazing things. And Ashley, Ashley, you're a psychologist working with New South Wales Health and you're counselling people who have um, experienced domestic violence and sexual assault. But that's, that's like a recent um, job for you. What were you, what were you doing before that? Uh, before that, uh, I was in the UK um, do, doing it. It was supposed to be a working holiday, but COVID kind of got in the way of that. But um, when I was back in Australia, I was working in private practice and I worked at Headspace as well. So Headspace is a youth mental health organisation. Very cool. Excellent. Well, thanks for, thanks for joining us for this conversation, which I think is a really, a really good one to have and something, I guess, as a church that we've been processing a bit together. So we, we recently kind of everyone shared some different things that they're lamenting and praising during this time, particularly in light of COVID and lockdown and the effects that that's had on our lives. And so we've been engaging in both of those um, things. And done, particularly we had a creative kind of expression of that where we recorded, we wrote and some um, sort of acrostic style poetry about that and recorded some lovely videos as well. Um, so just for, for both of you, is there particular areas of your life where you're feeling a lament or where you're feeling grateful at the moment? Uh, well, I'll, I'll guess I'll go first. Um, I think one of the things I'm, I'm in the praise department, in the gratitude department, is definitely that I live where I live, which is in the Illawarra Um <laughs> uh, it's been an amazing opportunity to explore beyond my normal stomping ground and just be actually awestruck so, so regularly at how beautiful our natural environment is and what a gift it is to be able to literally step out of my front door mm. and be in, in a forest or within a few minutes to be down on the coast. It's, 
it's unbelievable. And uh, I think, you know, having lived here and then moved away and then come back, there you can sometimes take for granted uh, the beauty that we've, we have just so easily here. It's, so that's my praise is living here. So good. Yeah. There's something about lockdown that connects us more to that too, isn't there? That I've mm. felt that as well. Like the moments where, that I'm out in nature or out on a walk or out on a bike ride or whatever, that, that I pause more regularly to reflect on, wow, this is, mm. this is a good place to be stuck in. And yeah, I feel more connected to even my mm. own in that way as well. Yeah, definitely. What about you, Ashley? Uh, I was thinking about um, this question. I think my lament and praise ties in together compared to this lockdown and the previous one. So right now I'm feeling really grateful um, how different this lockdown is compared to the initial one when mm. I was in the UK. Um, it wasn't all bad, but I experienced a lot of lament um, during that that first lockdown, there was a lot of um, isolation, grief of, and loss of, of feeling disconnected to my home, my family, my friends, um, feeling like I was, you know, stuck, trapped out of my own country and that I wasn't allowed in essentially, you know, there was lots of lamenting during that time and feeling really a sense of, of hopelessness in many um many occasions um, but I think because of that experience this lockdown has just felt so I just had such a sense of gratitude for it you know being being back home connected to my family friends and where we are it's such a beautiful place like Linda was saying um, and I don't think that if I didn't have that experience in the UK I don't think I would be feeling this gratitude as strongly as I am now. So, yeah. Yeah, that's great. The lament sometimes is a bit harder to articulate, isn't it? I mm. feel like in this time for me, there's this sense of like, there's a general struggle, but it's more, it's more vague for me than specific. I think some people certainly probably have some very specific things, but for me, I feel um, my sadness is probably this sense feel a bit more fragile, a little bit more on edge, mm. tired, rattled. Mm. <laughs> like today we we had a, a couple of um, COVID-approved picnics with people <laughs> and yeah. I was up and was like, wow, I just had two picnics with two, two different sets of people. I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, an easy an easy thing, but there's something about this time that's just wearying. So I feel like I'm lamenting that a little bit as well. Mm. Yeah, I think it's because there's been this um, ongoing uh, pervasive level of uncertainty as well. It, it's very fatiguing because we're way outside of our comfort zone. It's like we know how to respond to crisis, but when the crisis becomes chronic, it, it's just depleting all of our normal resources. And... Um, and it's very unfamiliar territory and we're experiencing it collectively. So you can't necessarily lean on some of the normal support structures because everybody is feeling it. And that's, um, that's been tough. And, you know, I guess in terms of lament, cause I don't want to gloss over lament. <laughs> that's part of the point, I suppose, <laughs> of what we're talking about yeah. and just um, focus on the praise, but you know, last lockdown, 
signalled the end of um, Gary, my husband's career, after 40 yeah. years. And so we have gone, you know, totally in a different direction professionally uh, and financially and actually geographically because we were anticipating relocating back to Hong Kong and doing a couple of years as our swan song from that part of our life and uh, that was all taken away and that's a thing to process which is quite big uh, in terms of um, you know Gary's sense of identity and professional fulfillment etc but the other side of it is that because we haven't really been able to mark that event like he just didn't go to work because of lockdown and the country being shut down and then a year later he still hasn't gone and oh by the way now now you don't work here anymore you're not able to actually end such a significant uh, part of your life and when you can't end something uh, with with sort of definitive resolution you can't actually grieve and celebrate it well because it still feels like it's in that nebulous no man's land territory of you know, people say to me, what's Gary doing? I'm like, well, he's unemployed or he's retired or we're not really sure because mm. we don't really know. And I think that's one of the things that COVID, you know, the, that dynamic and atmosphere of COVID has done is it's taken away a lot of the milestones that we normally mm. mark, um, you know, our natural rhythm of life with. Yeah. And that in itself is fatiguing as well because you just feel like you're floating. And you don't have too much to anchor you. And that can be in in a lot of ways, can't it? Like I feel that from the day to day that, yeah, my days blur one into the next. And I thought that yesterday was Friday. (laughs) Yesterday was Wednesday. (laughs) That's very disappointing. Yeah, it was. It really was. It's all right. I was having I was having Friday drinks like it was Friday. (laughs) Well, that that's redeeming it. (laughs) That's right. But, yeah, I think about similar things from across the spectrum. I, I teach Year 12 students and I think they are missing all those same sort of mm, yeah. There's lots of things that so many of us in different ways, yeah, we, we can't decipher different parts and different phases of our life very easily because it's all just mushed in the yeah. yeah. All the lines are blurry. So for, for you in, in your life, uh, do you find that either if you guys lean more towards um, this negativity or positivity in yourselves and how you see the world and do life? Um, I guess when I was reflecting on that question, um, I don't, I think it changes day to day for me. Um, But I guess for me, I've been trying to move away from, I guess, that kind of dichotomy of, of negative positive emotions or negative positive experiences and trying to move towards, I guess, more of a, a non-judgmental embrace of it's a broad spectrum of what it is to be human and to experience life and, and emotions. Um, for me, I think, you know, I've definitely got into that trap of when we, we can fall into... Um, experiencing positive and negative it can have like this moral judgment to it as either like good or bad mm-hmm. um and then we end up I guess trying to keep out the bad 
emotion or the negative emotion and try to like strive and then almost hold on tightly to this positive and, and good, you know, subjective good emotions. And I think that kind of can set us up for a bit of a, a struggle. Um, and I don't think it's e- either or. I think it's it, it's a spectrum rather than, the, what, you know, dualism, I guess. That's another mm-hmm. word for it too, yeah. black and white. Yeah, I, I, would, I would agree um, in the sense that uh, I'm learning to hold emotional responses as being uh, neutral, um, as in the emotion is neutral. It holds no, I don't make a value judgment about the emotion. Mm. And I try to process those things now in terms of is this helpful or unhelpful right now? And so, you know, at times anger is helpful. anger anger is not a negative emotion sometimes Mm. it's helpful other times how we respond to feelings of anger can be unhelpful Uh, but taking that pressure off being in that space of constantly judging and critiquing our feelings um, means that we we do create we create space where we can process things rather than denying or deflecting or squashing them down yeah, which is invariably what leads people to come and talk to people like me and Ashley, <laughs> because, <laughs> because we're not processing uh, processing things because we're afraid of them. Mm. I think it's a very human thing to to mm. do though as well to want to do that. Mm. Um, yeah, lean in, lean into the nice bits, not, not yeah, of course, negative bits. That's that's natural, right? Mm-hmm. Just well, interested. Now, sorry, go ahead. No, I'm interested in in what what you were just saying. Do you feel like you, you talked about like that non-judgmental response? Do you do is that something you do in real time? Like are you like right now, man, I'm angry, and then and then you do that process, or is that something that at the end of the day you look back at, boy, I was angry earlier, and then you and then you do that not is it or is it both of those things? Yeah, it's both of those things. I think because this is a relatively new approach for me, I would have lived very much in the binary for most of my life, like good, bad. You know, anger is bad, joy is good, mm. sadness is bad, happiness is good. Mm. And so for me, I'm, I'm training myself to just let myself feel what I feel. And sometimes I have the luxury of time and space in the moment and other times it comes down the track where I reflect on a conversation or a situation and, and then ask myself, what, why do I feel the way I feel right there? What, what was really going on there? Rather than me just pushing past or mm. um, just, you know, pretending it didn't happen and it didn't hurt me or that it didn't make me feel uh, angry or what made me happy about that particular situation specifically and why mm. and then what am I going to do with that? Uh, th- that's very much a work in progress for me. Um, and if I can, I'll do it in the moment. But a lot of the time mm. it is a reflection at the end of the day, you know, in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think for us that aren't quite as maybe emotionally attuned to ourselves as you might be, that, that de- the debrief afterwards is a, like a starting point? That's kind of taking that mm. towards the think. And then as we get better at doing that, we get more able to do it in the moment, on the fly, as things are happening. Yeah, I would definitely... Um, agree that if if we can just carve out a little bit of space and time to reflect 
in whatever way is meaningful and sustainable for us, then that's starting to build that muscle of emotional awareness. And then the more aware you become, the, the easier it is to catch you yourself in the situation in real time. Mm-hmm. And that's where self-control you know, can grow because there might be a response that you want to give in the moment because it's triggered an emotion, but you have the ability to say, no, wait, there's something else going on here. I'm going to say nothing right now. (laughs) You know, that's a real-time experience for me in my life, like when I want to fight back perhaps in a conversation um, to say, okay, no, no, ask yourself what's going on and say nothing. (laughs) This is all very new territory for me, I'll say. The second half of my my life, (laughs) I was not normally this this emotionally aware or reflective. So can we we explore that just briefly? (laughs) When you say, like, did you just live unaware of your responses to things or what was was Linda of 10 years ago, how how we then? Oh, wow. I don't know that... (laughs) This is like you're turning the tables, you're becoming the therapist. Um, (laughs) Ten years ago, I was much more um, reactionary and probably aggressive, actually, which was a form of defending myself from feeling hurt. And that was um, unsustainable and exhausting. And so learning how to pay attention to why I was feeling what I was feeling helped me actually be in a position to find a a way through that and to process that and not being afraid of what would have traditionally been seen as negative emotions. And, you know, I guess we'll touch on this in terms of the church context, but I certainly grew up feeling that anger was, uh, you, you you could visit anger for about a split second, but then you had to immediately forgive if you could forget, move on, have a smile on your face, turn the other cheek, hand over the coat, do everything. Mm. Um, but there's no way that you could linger in that space where you were angry because angry was like hatred and hatred was like murder and God doesn't <laughs> like that. <laughs> you know, that, that was sort of the subliminal message I think I'd taken on. Mm. Um, so yeah. With with that, Ash, just thinking about the church, mm. started to talk. And yeah, has the church over identified with either this positive or the negative aspects of our, our lives? Well, I think, you know, obviously everyone's experience is differently. So I can different. So I can only really go off my experience. But um I think yes, at times definitely. Um you know, I heard this term that really resonated me with me you know a few, a few years ago is like spiritual bypassing which is mm. um mm. it's using i guess spiritual ideas or, or beliefs to i guess sometimes sidestep or avoid certain difficult emotions or experiences and i can definitely see how that kind of outworks sometimes at, at church and connected to people's um faith i guess some of my past experiences w- regarding that is about it's people are wanting or it's encouraged to to have um something to praise god about that being something really good mm-hmm. um when and when someone's life is going well when their life is kind of going according to plan and they're experiencing all these quote-unquote good emotions um i guess that's a sign 
that can be implied that it's a sign that you're that's a reflection on your faith that it's healthy and strong mm. um but whereas the opposite if you're experiencing struggle anxiety depression fear sadness anger you know it's often implied or it can be implied that that's a sign that there's a lack of faith there or a reflection on your your relationship with God and it's something that we're meant to turn to God to get rid of, mm. um, to to eliminate, um, you know, pr- kind of praying the feelings away. Um, like, where is your faith? If you're if you're feeling sad, if you're feeling anxious, you need to have faith, and and God will take that anxiety away. Um, and we can get into that later, but that's I guess from my own personal experience, I've had that my experience on how my faith and my experience of anxiety interacted in some of these contexts um, definitely I guess was impacted by that mm-hmm. that kind of mindset yeah yeah mm-hmm. and that I means it's really interesting isn't it because in of themselves a lot of those responses aren't necessarily inherently bad like no. it's to celebrate good things and mm-hmm. to um you know, hope for good things and to hold on to those things. Mm. Um, but it's the, I guess it's the suppression or the, yeah, like you used that great term, that bypassing of, of those other aspects that is potentially over, over a longer period of time quite um, toxic or damaging. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Linda, did you have any, anything you wanted to add off there? Uh, well, I would. I would agree and um, give an amen to what Ashley said. (laughs) Um, (laughs) A hearty hallelujah, praise the Lord for that, sister. Um, (laughs) But also having spent the last um, probably 20 years of my faith prior to coming to Central being in a Pentecostal environment, um, there was very much an emphasis on overcoming Mm. and conquering Mm. and sort of dominating life, like being a winner and winner's didn't stay sad they didn't get hurt they you know didn't have any of those um, uncomfortable emotions they were celebrators um, always praising and brushing over the things along the way and there's there's a level of energy and um, sort of purpose that's around that approach which can be quite contagious but ultimately, in my own life, I found it was quite damaging because I didn't know how to attend to the very real pain and hurt and struggle and disappointment and resentment that was also part of my journey. Mm. I, I felt I was only given permission to share that about the things where I was really winning at life, even when I was going through very challenging circumstances, you know, when our eldest had cancer and that was incredibly traumatic for everybody uh, and, you know, it was a two-year journey, I didn't ever talk about how sad I was Mm -hmm. or how hard it was. Uh, And... I'm not suggesting that there weren't people that want that would have been there to support me in that, but there was no example. People wanted to know that you were 
you know, going to overcome it because saying anything less than the ultimate positive, it was almost like you were going to jinx the outcome. Yeah. You know, don't sow seeds mm, of doubt. Mm. Don't, um, mm. don't have a negative confession. Mm. And it's like, well, it's not a negative confession. It's just the flipping truth. You know, <laughs> statistically, this is what's going on. But I didn't really have a space where I felt um, encouraged and supported to talk about those sorts of things. And so that all just gets stored up on the inside. And I imagine that for lots of people, they've had a similar experience, whether they're going through, you know, health challenges or relationship challenges or financial professional challenges where they, they don't really feel like they can talk about how hard it is. Mm. They can only say it's hard, but God's got me. Yeah. And I think that in the, in the moment that can often feel okay. Like it's almost like a dopamine little, little hit. It's like, Oh yeah. Yeah. We're being positive here. This is good. I'm holding on to the positive or hearing that, that sort of positive sp- speak from the front of church, for example, might feel quite good. Cause you're like, Oh yes, I can latch, latch onto that. But I think that the outcome of that over a longer period of time is potentially so damaging because yeah, like, you, you need to, this outlet to process the, the mm. things in life like that such trauma that you were going through in that, in that time Linda that yeah just I guess in at least in the church there was no there was no, no avenue for you to to walk that journey out with people and so the little along the way might have probably just been like little hits to keep you going yeah, yeah. But, but eventually that stuff has to has to be dealt with right well, and I think when you get a good outcome, you know, which we did, you know, our child survived, at that point what we tend to do, um, and again, you know, if a marriage is in trouble and they're separated for years and years but then they get back together, like all anybody wants to talk about is the fact that, oh, now you're back together, oh, now your child's okay, oh, now you've got the job. So let's focus on that. Yeah. And, and you sort of get swept up in this train of optimism and you know, positivity mm-hmm. that then means, you know, it's subtly saying to you that, okay, we don't look backwards. Don't, don't think about all of those sad things because the sad things have gone away now because now it's, oh, happy day. Mm-hmm. But the sad things don't go away. <laughs> yep. I think people also sometimes struggle with sitting with someone else's pain. So mm-hmm. then it's 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 very easy to jump well, well it will be okay you'll overcome it rather than sitting with I'm grieving and I I don't know how I can keep moving forward right now and sitting with that yeah. and allowing that to be there I think it can be really hard to to see someone in pain so then and not be able to sit with that mm. can often that's when those really kind of often unhelpful invalidating mm. comments can come yeah, yeah with, with the best so of intention. True. Yeah, yeah, best of intention, totally. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, I'd like to just explore that a bit more. I think that's a really interesting insight because I think we, um, we know in our own selves that sort of that they've got both of these things happening, but sometimes to sit in the, the tension of that with someone else is quite, quite difficult. We want to solve, solve it or mm. bounce their sense of, um, lament with some nice positive thought 
Um, so what 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 should we do, Ashley? There, what's the what's healthier response? Uh, a good I, friend or counselor or colleague, I, whatever. I, I think anyone that gets into counselling or, or therapy in any way, that is one of their biggest struggles <laughs> to want to like fix everything and see what what's going on and try and try and fix it. And and it's something that you really have to continually keep yourself in check for. Um, but then also reflecting on why that urge is coming up for for you and for me I'm talking for myself why is that urge coming up for me to want to jump in and fix that what is it about that I'm struggling with sitting with that uncomfortability of that person's pain it's, it's making me feel pain mm. um, and instead of kind of resisting that um, leaning into it and being being curious about that and and coming alongside someone and knowing that you don't actually have to try and fix it and that's probably not what they want in mm. 99% of cases. Sometimes people will want that advice and, and often if they do, they'll ask for it. Um, so really reflecting on what is it in me that's wanting to, to try and fix it or, or offer that positive response um, I think is quite helpful at times. Mm. And I, I would just add to that, like, being reminded that um, what most people want and I speak from personal experience in the midst of tragedy and crisis and deep despair is to be reminded that they're not there on their own yeah and oftentimes the most powerful way for you to communicate that is simply to be with another person Mm -hmm. to not speak more than a few words and to not try and offer a solution or a strategy because, you know, depending on the circumstance, I think, I think for most of us, when I think of some of the big things that I've had to go through, I know nobody else has an answer. I, so even when you try and give me a solution, I know it's a waste of time mm. <laughs> because we're in something that there is no quick fix for. And so you know, trying to present um, a simple answer almost diminishes the significance of the problem. Yeah. And really what I just want to know is that even though I don't think I can get through today, that this person sitting next to me is reminding me that I won't have to do that on my own and that it's just enough to be in this moment with each other Mm. and being able to honour and hold space for another person's raw, vulnerable, tender, messy emotion is, I mean, it's a privilege that another person allows you into that tender place of their life. And really the best way to handle something so precious and tender is lightly and gently. Um, And, yeah, and I've found for myself that has been the most healing and comforting thing has not been anybody's brochures, pamphlets or solutions. It's been just saying, I know how much you hurt or I think, you know, I can see how much you're hurting and I I want you to know you're not having to hurt on your own. Mm-hmm. People I've heard um, it described as like bearing witness to someone's story um, and I think that's really powerful. Yeah, that's great. 
hearing you both speak about that reminds me, there's an author, Parker Palmer, his name is, and he's, uh, he must be 70 or 80, maybe more now, but he, he talked about, he went through a couple of prolonged periods of depression, sort of quite late in his life, and he spoke about that, people trying to, like, even counsellors kind of trying to fix and give him things to, to do and work through and stuff and how ineffective that was, but how one um, friend or person in his life that he would go and see semi-regularly, might have been once a week, once a month or something, and this guy almost said nothing to him and they would just sit together in silence. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, I think sometimes maybe this guy would massage his feet or just do something bizarre. <laughs> Um, but just it was this shared space where he basically mm. on that journey, like you were sort of saying, Ashley, sharing that space with him and that somehow that presence of that person with him in the depths of mm. what was going on mm. inside helped him out the other end of that. And I think, well, that's a beautiful story. And I think it also shows that there's, yeah, we don't need answers so much and solutions to things like our our own spirit, our own inner person is is somehow working towards healing and whole. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that just takes time, and sometimes it probably takes yeah the, the loving presence of of other people around us that yeah. aren't us, but they're just there with us, yeah. whatever whatever that means. Yeah. Okay. Of course, is my is my marriage, in which case I have all the. <laughs> To, to every every possible problem that Carolyn <laughs> <laughs> And just to clarify, I love that story, but I will not be massaging anyone's feet. <laughs> I, 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 have issue, I have issues with feet and I don't, I, I don't want to touch anyone's feet. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, that's, okay. I think pe- pe- people hearing that story would either be like, oh, that sounds fantastic or just be completely grossed out by it. Yeah, it's polarizing. I, I get, I get what you're going with, but the feet, the feet thing kind of brought, brought had, up something in me. Was I had what you call a soul, it's a soul connection. Oh my gosh. Had, yeah. There it is. There it is. Yeah, that's what we came for. <laughs> um, so Ash, like Linda shared a bit about part of her journey before of, of kind of going through stuff, and then I guess with the church, it not really kind of. Um, responding or ha- holding the space in the right way for her. Do you have any mm. any similar or different stories in, in that regard with the church? Yeah, I think the thing that comes to mind for me is, I guess, my own journey with my own mental health. Um, you know, I was a very anxious teenager for lots of different reasons, but um, it was something that I struggled with and was trying to understand from a child, really. Um, and I think sometimes the messaging that I received regarding mental health and faith um, at times kind of perpetuated the problem. So I guess mental health was often understood as a spiritual problem um, and it, it was set up in a way that it was a battle, something that we had to fight against it was kind of like a battle between good and evil at times even um, conceptualized as maybe the devil attacking, attacking me through my anxiety um, and something that I really had to pray and have the faith for it to, to go away, essentially, that it was bad and I had to leave. Um, and I really like reflecting back on it now, 
that really kept me more stuck. Um, and it, and it set, set me up in a way, and this is not, no one intended that way or anything like that, but it set me up in a way that it was this battle um, and it made my, my experience of anxiety really, really scary. Um, and, you know, going on like a bit of a journey, if you want to call it that, about my own mental health and my own faith and things like that. When I started to shift away from that, I guess, way of understanding or believing uh, in in that, um, realizing that anxiety wasn't an, my enemy and it wasn't something that was evil. It was a normal system of the bodies, like a response in the brain and the body that is designed to keep me safe. And for whatever reason, my my alarm system was a little bit more sensitive and had a tendency to to um, give off some false alarms, but it was there to keep me safe um, and it was there for a reason. So I think having that reframe really, really helped me to allow the anxiety to actually be there and not to try and push it away and not to have some, it was something that needed to be fixed. Um, accepting that it was there, allowing it to be there actually paradoxically loosened its impact on me um and that's not to say that I don't experience anxiety I still obviously do it's a it's a human emotion we all do to some extent it's a spectrum and I think allowing that to be there kind of like any emotion anxiety like a wave you know it peaks sometimes and it always it passes and then it goes down and 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 allowing it to be there getting curious about it accepting that it's there where does it sit in my body? You know, really changing my relationship with that particular emotion um, has really helped me. Um, I think there's this there's this really good metaphor in this therapy called um, ACT, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, and it, it talks about, you know, trying to experience emotions like riding a wave. And I think maybe the way that I was trying to approach my anxiety in the context of like spiritual over spiritualizing it and viewing it as this battle it was like I was trying to hold back the ocean like standing and trying to hold back this wave and say no 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 get away get away get away I don't want you you're evil I I whatever the prayer that it was meant to be get behind me Satan rebuke you know all that kind of stuff that was actually causing me to get dumped and dumped and dumped over and over again and it wasn't until I I I kind of learned to, I guess, ride the wave as a metaphor is like allowing it to be there and, and accepting that it's there and mm. changing my approach to, to the anxiety that I was experiencing that it completely changed my experience about it. You mm. know, I don't pray for my anxiety to go away anymore. Mm. I, I get like what Linda was saying earlier, I get curious about it. Oh, I'm noticing I'm feeling a bit anxious today. My heart's beating a bit quicker. I feel a bit funny in my stomach. You know, like, that's okay. You know, that's there. I'm going to let that be there today and I'm going to allow it to be there, not try and push it away. But I'm also going to focus on what's going on in my day, try to ground, breathe. But that's not me trying to push it away either. Mm. It's, uh, it's, it's allowing it to be there, but then also figuring out, well, what's going to help me in this moment? Mm. What's going to be helpful for me? Mm. Um, it's a slight shift, but I think it can make a real big difference because if we're using all these tools to try and get rid of emotions that can can continue that battle that you have with them. Mm. 
yeah so I think for me that was something that has been a big 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 shift that has made a really big difference um and I I, I think that unfortunately you know there are a lot of people in church where they feel very isolated in terms of their mental health, sometimes shamed for what they experience as well and um, don't feel like they can really fully talk about how much they're struggling with it. Mm. I think it's definitely something that um, as a whole could be improved in in our faith. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. I think that insight of seeing anxiety or depression or other mental health struggles as um, not as like the enemy or something to be fixed is that seems like such a important paradigm shift. Mm. But I, um, Pete Rollins talks about like the, sim- the symptoms that we experience and it could be like in, on a greater social level, it could be in our own lives as well. And he says, they're not the problem. They're actually the solution to our problem. Mm. They're actually the things that are telling us, oh, there's something not right here. There's something that, mm. need, that needs fixing. And they're often the way that our own system is trying to adjust, mm. letting us know that, that there's, there's something deeper going on. Mm. Yeah, so I think that's, that's a really, I love the way you talked about like that attentiveness that you show to your anxiety and to the, your body and how it's presenting. I think that's yeah. a really mm. helpful insight. I think having compassion for that emotion that's there mm. rather than it being something that shouldn't be there and it's mm. not welcomed, I need to get it away, get mm. rid of it. Um, mm. it, it, it. It really is a paradox, but it, it helps shift it. Mm. Not, but that's not that shouldn't be the goal either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because when we set that up as the goal, that's when we get into the, bar- mm. uh, the battle as well. Mm. And, and it helps to then not be at war within yourself because mm. when you're fighting a feeling of anxiety or fear or anger, uh, you're actually turning in on yourself yeah, and then expecting yourself to somehow feel better. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and so you're in this sort of spiral of descent into you know, a really uncomfortable and dark place because you, you, you can get to that point where you actually loathe yourself because you have so much distaste for, for whatever that emotion is. But if you can accept that it's actually a natural functional part of a normal human experience, then you create space for that to, to be there and as Ashley said, you know, curiosity, compassion, rather than judgment and criticism, makes the world of difference to how we live with our emotions. Because mm. then we get into that, you know, we have that primary emotion we're feeling, but when we get into that battle or repressing, pushing away, you can experience emotions on top of that about the emotion. So we can get, we can get anger about our sadness. We can get um, anxiety about our anger you know it can and it can build and build and build and then before we know we don't know what we're actually Mm. what's actually there to start with um yeah and so i mean i think maybe you partly already answered the question i'm about to ask you but like psychologically in us if we're not 
properly expressing or processing any of these kind of emotions or senses of anxiety or positive or negative kind of things, like what, what is it that happens in us if we're not dealing with, with those things in some way? Well, Ash probably got some things to say about that, but I, my experience is that it shows up in your body. Yeah. And mm. so whether it's the persistent headaches or the difficulty sleeping or the sick feeling in your stomach or the little tingly ants crawling up your hands or, mm. you know, um, general restlessness, like they're all sort of classic physical manifestations of anxious thoughts, um, fear, and it, it, needs, uh, it needs a physical outlet because it, it's stored in your body. You can't talk your way out of feelings. Yeah. You actually need them. You need to give them an avenue to be released and processed. And I think this is an emerging field of research that shows just how, I mean, it's, it's mind-blowingly incredible how intricately connected our bodies are. Just, I mean, fearfully and wonderfully made doesn't even sort of scratch the surface of how incredible a human is mm-hmm. uh, but the the mind body soul heart connection is just fantastic and to think that we live with so many physical conditions which are directly linked to our emotions you know that's something that we're just really starting to um, understand in more detail but if you don't let yourself feel it, it stays with you in some way or another would be my, my take. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think another, yeah, definitely. Um, I think whatever kind of we resist persists and it can amplify. Um, and like what I said before, it can become multi-layered where we'll get our anger about our sadness, sadness about our anger, fear about our grief, you know, and it can build on top of each other rather than allowing that primary emotion or experience to be felt. Uh, In other ways, it can come out in other ways in terms of how we try to cope. We can can develop lots of different unhelpful um, coping strategies and and that's totally a human thing. Um, It's not to say there's anything bad inherently bad about that but um that's just the way that our body and our mind tries to find ways to cope when we when we don't have that space to to process you know and that could look like lots of different things for different people um another thing that can happen is we can project it onto other people where we have this feeling that we experience and and it feels really uncomfortable so you know I can't sit with that, so I need to get that out. So who am I going to put it on? I'm going to put it on someone I love and care about or I'm going to put it out in road rage or, you know, get really, really angry about something that's, you know, in reality it's quite small, but it's it's never really about that. It, you know, you, you often talk about when people argue about things, you're arguing about the towel on the floor, but you're not really arguing about the towel on the floor. You know, there's more to it there. So it's like, okay, well, how can we touch on what's actually going on there? Is it that you felt misunderstood? You know, what, what 
is there a pain there that you're not acknowledging and then it's coming out in different ways? Um, and I think that's such a human thing that we do. Mm. It just, it just, it happens. But I think what Linda was saying, it's start, starting to become reflective on that, of what's going on and getting curious as to what's the, what's the real emotion that I'm feeling right now or what I need to feel. Um, yeah, I think we also can try to avoid certain experiences of emotions and then I think sometimes that that would lead us to miss out on being present in our own lives and our own relationships and what's going on around us because we're at the, we're, while we're trying to avoid certain emotions and bring certain emotions in like happiness it doesn't it, sometimes that makes it even harder mm. um, you can't really force happiness to be there it's there it can come it often comes unexpectedly when you're not even really thinking about it like when Linda was talking about going for a hike or something like that like they're the moments where I have that fleeting feeling of joy and it's not because I tried to force it to be there just just allowing for whatever to come up to come up and it and it comes and in in not um numbing yeah, we, we create space to feel the spectrum of emotions because yeah. our natural inclination is to say, I don't want to feel all of these things because they're too painful and uncomfortable. But in doing that, we actually prevent ourselves from feeling the other end of the same spectrum. Yeah. So if I'm not prepared to feel deep pain or grief, neither can I feel deep love and intimacy and connection mm. yeah. because they exist within the same space and so we end up living in this like quite narrow range of emotions and can feel ripped off (laughs) yeah totally Uh, um Mm -hmm. but you know that's the risk that's involved in in experiencing deep joy is that Mm. there will inevitably be a time of deep sadness as well Mm. i think you know who is it i think it's brene brown I know everyone throws her name around a lot these days, but she talks about foreboding joy where it's hard to actually lean into joy because it feels so scary that you're going to lose it. And I think that's so true. I can relate a hundred percent. Like that that happens where it's like, I feel so happy or or joyful right now, but I'm terrified (laughs) because it's going to get taken away. (laughs) So then I don't feel it at all. Like I just avoid. And um, I think it's, but it's what it is to be human, isn't it? And I think yeah. we some, sometimes have this expectation that to be happy or to be joyful is just to be happy or to be joyful. But like you talked about, Ashley, like there's always layers of what's going mm-hmm. on in our life. And I think I've learned that like you're never going to be, like C.S. Lewis says, you never attain happiness directly. It's not something, mm. oh, boom, I'm happy. Yay. Mm. I feel like it's almost a, a byproduct, and for me, probably something that I identify retrospectively rather than in the moment. Mm. Almost never in my life would I say, "I say, oh, I'm so happy right now." Like I'm mm. like the day or at the end of a week or at the end of a year, go, "Boy, that was there was that was lovely." But in the moment, I think there's always a mix of things going on, and I think often actually that will be in a what is a lovely time and. And almost because of the loveliness, I feel like sometimes I actually notice a few other negative things happening in me. And that's not necessarily bad. I think it's almost just 
like this balancing thing that happens in us where we're always have all those things kind of happening mm. at the same time and actually maybe it's in the the give and take the push and pull of those things that that we find happiness and joy that it's not actually just living in positiveness yeah somehow in the interplay of just existing in the the riding of the waves the up and the down Mm. I um I a couple of years ago I think I had this period where I haven't experienced a lot of anxiety in my life previously but I did go through a time when I when yeah just for whatever reason that's seemed to just become a reality for me and the challenge that I found was to like you sort of talked about before to to actually lean into that and mm-hmm. to push it away, but to kind of just go ride the wave, I guess. And mm-hmm. that was, I found that quite difficult initially, but I did find that as, as I got a little bit better at doing that, that it was actually good. And I felt like because I was hitting some lower troughs, I felt in myself a little bit more able to hit the higher peaks as well. And mm-hmm. that was actually a, a really rich thing rather than, the numbing existence that I probably tend to do, which is just ride somewhere in the middle, mm-hmm. kind of never, never hit the peaks, but never hit the troughs. Well, that's a bit boring, isn't it? Um, <laughs> maybe some people would actually be like, no, 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 give me, give me. <laughs> but, but for me, that was actually a really good thing to embrace some of the listening to my body and listening to that anxiety and then experiencing the richness of, of, of that kind of up and down as well. Mm-hmm. 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 Is is there are there other things that you'd like either of you would like to add in terms of that idea of like tension and holding but the both end because I think that's kind of where this conversation seems to be going is that we're talking about obviously it's not just living in toxic positivity land but neither do we want to just be perpetually depressed mm. both mm. of these things is. How, how do we do that? Can we do that? Is, is that something that works to hold grief and joy at the same time, pain, hope? Like, do those things mm. go together? How do, you, how do you read that? I, I think that they do go together. And I think one of the thoughts that I was having while you were talking is about the, the need for us to give each other permission to be honest and, you know, I, one of my favourite authors is um, a lady called Alicia Shole, and she says that honesty is a friend to intimacy. Mm. And it, it always strikes me that we feel we can often tell ourselves that we're being honest when we talk to each other, but actually we're, we're rarely genuinely honest because we're not actually honest with ourselves. And in in actually creating space and giving language, I thought just even as you and Ashley were speaking that you were bringing in that the richness of experience with vocabulary and, and being able to actually identify the markers along the way. When you talked about your journey, Luke, for another person to hear that, to then say, okay, now I understand what I was experiencing, but nobody had ever given me words for it before. And so now I'm able to be honest with myself that I wasn't feeling unsettled. I actually was feeling anxious. Uh, and now that I know that's what it is, I can, I, I know how to find help to learn how to live with that 
in a way that I can still experience joy and sadness mm. and everything in between. And having conversations like this, I think, helps facilitate and normalise the reality of the human experience, which is the full spectrum of emotions. And that, that's actually going to be one of the most powerful ways that we, we help each other do it mm. by, by actually being honest with ourselves and then honest with each other. And, you know, vulnerability, to use a Brené Brown term, it's probably overused. But yeah, <laughs> it is at the, yeah. <laughs> it's very much the buzzword. It is. I hate that when a really good word gets, <laughs> gets, gets ruined. It's not ruined. It's not ruined. <laughs> but emotional exposure is, is really at the heart of vulnerability and, and mm. taking a risk. And that's maybe what faith communities could be leading the way in doing is creating safe spaces where people can um, be more um, expose the tender parts of their life and yeah. know that it will be held with gentleness and kindness, not judgment. Mm. And it connects us to, I guess, a common humanity. It's not, it's not as individualized where it's like, I'm going through this stuff and I have to kind of hold this myself and they're going through something separate. When we, can relate to each other and be vulnerable there's the word with each other um in our suffering um especially it it becomes a shared experience and it helps us feel more connected to each other um and it helps us to have compassion for each other and then also compassion for ourselves too And perhaps that's one of the great gifts that COVID, the COVID era will give to us if we choose to lean in and nurture it is the recognition that this has been a collective grief. It, you know, as a community, we're in our own version of PTSD, really, as we come out of this and recognising that every person that you encounter in whatever space has gone through something quite extraordinary and life-defining with some really hard, um, you know, with loss and grief associated with it. And to be able to acknowledge that in each other, you know, we we maybe we get to create a new level of understanding and awareness of our shared humanity, maybe. That's great. Yeah, I love that. Like, I think, so see you know, communities in the world that exist well are kind of, they yeah, they have those things that they are gathered around, like the sporting team has their mm. purpose that they kind of, you know, it pulls them together. Um, but as a, as a wider community, often, yeah, we're just all, we all have our own little individual struggles and bits and pieces that are happening, all different. And, but yeah, this really is a unique time in that so much of what's happening at the moment is happening together to all of us and that's probably actually true all the time in in ways that we don't understand but particularly at the moment it's Mm. you can see it that it's really um this is a combined struggle and we get through this together or we fall over together Mm. and um so i think how we pull together as communities Mm. is is really important and Mm. like both of you have said some amazing things about i guess being able to hold the space with each other in that and not necessarily providing answers, but 
giving, um, going on the journey um, openly with others and that of, yeah, being honest and vulnerable with each other is so good. How, 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 are there any practical ways as, as a group of people, like and thinking, I guess, for church communities, faith communities, what, do you have any thoughts about ways that we can, we can help to facilitate that, those kind of connections with each other? Just a just an easy question. <laughs> that's it. That's that is tricky. I'm buying you some time, Ashley. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I've got lots of individual things. No. <laughs> and it's hard, isn't it? Because we, I think we, we do talk, we do talk a lot, and we'll talk. I might ask you in a sec about some of the tr- things we do for ourselves. But how to hold the space together is, yeah, is tricky, and I, and. I mean, I think, I think as a community at Central Church, we're trying to do things like, I guess, our lament and praise thing, like yeah, just to, perfect, yeah, to acknowledge mm. what we're all going through, and that kind of then takes some of our individual things and brings them together. Yeah, definitely. I, um, listening to the lament and praise of our community is like, oh yes, like I feel understood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, mate, yeah, yeah. One, Think of is just to yeah create spaces where we can have have conversation for our church yeah. community just to be somewhere where we're getting a, a a download of info but somewhere where we can bring ourselves to spaces have conversations to be yeah. one way channel of something but but mm. forth and an interplay of, of yeah. yeah that video was amazing like I know when I added my ones in there I felt it was really powerful because I knew that I was adding something that everyone else was adding to Mm -hmm. Mm. and then to see it together it felt like that kind of unified everyone Mm. and it brought it to one whole like a tapestry of different experiences and it wasn't this is blah blah's experience this is blah blah's experience it was this is everyone's together Mm. and you couldn't figure out who was who but you just knew it was like everyone yeah and I think that was really powerful actually Mm. I I think that's probably um the most um significant role of community is to not over structure or strategize something like this but to to draw awareness to bring awareness and direct people's attention and create the space for like you know when Ashley talked about you can't fabricate happiness like happiness comes and and equally I think being able to attend to the spectrum of praise and lament in your own life and experience it will come in the safe space that's created by your community not because someone's given you a four-point formula Mm but because somebody has acknowledged the challenge and drawn our awareness to it and then given us time to time and space to give it the attention that it deserves because that's not something we would naturally do. Mm. You know, in the normal everyday life, we will push, we will bulldoze through those sorts of things if we can because that's the example that society and culture sets and also that's the more comfortable thing for us to do. But if we have a community that just honours and acknowledges that reality and then lets you discover how and where you're going to do it in your own way, 
then that's something that's, you know, not not just empowering, but it's actually sustainable. Mm. And mm. Uh, you know, so I think maybe that's that's the that's really the goal of the community experience. Mm. Yeah, that's great. That's really good. And I think Linda, you you're being a bit humble here because part of part of what you do is you um, with the She Is Project. Share their stories, and perfect I that's example. That's a big. That's a big part of it, isn't it? Is that we just we hear like other people's struggles and victories and everywhere mm. between on the way, and their unhappy endings, mm. and happy middle bits, and the mm. things, and and we feel connected by knowing mm. other. Stories. So I think that's a big part of community, online community in mm. real physical connected community, all those um, places are places to connect us to each other's stories. Um, yeah, I think there's real power in actually giving people space and permission to say, this is real, this happened. Mm. Yeah. Because oftentimes in those stories that have those tender places of pain and unresolved grief or loss, uh, or confusing, you know, not quite, you know, we haven't wrapped it up in a bow, like the story is still unfolding or I don't have the victory song at the end, mm. uh, that there's a tendency to not want to speak up about that because everybody wants the neat ending or, you know, at least the punchline. But when we are able to bear witness to that in each other's lives, what it is saying to the person whose story we're listening to is it's real and it happens. And mm. I, I acknowledge that and I honour the person that you are in the midst of that. Mm. And that is often the only thing that person needs <laughs> is just to be acknowledged and honoured for being who they are right now, not who they might become mm. because mm. of the story. Mm. And not the, you know, the, the Instagram title or the tweet that's associated with the testimony. Yeah. But just as you are in the midst of the mess right now, I see you, I acknowledge you, and I honour that person is um, incredibly empowering. Mm. You know, having been the recipient of that, <laughs> I, I, you know, it's, it's, very, it's very affirming. Yeah, that's great. And... It's interesting, isn't it? Because no, while we're still alive, we're never at the end of our story. It's always, whenever we're telling our story, it's always somewhere in the middle, and there's, there's can't be wrapped up neatly in a bow. And so to have people be engaging and jumping into that story with you is is, mm. is cool. I think the other thinking, and I'm aware that the irony of what I'm about to say because I was thinking about it. Um, Anyway, it'll make sense in a sec, but <laughs> is the skill, the skill of listening, when someone is telling um, their story or sharing openly with us, there's a rule of being able to listen well to them, which necessitates not thinking about actually what we're going to say in response. Mm-hmm. It's often why being able to say nothing is really helpful because mm-hmm. we can actually just switch that bit off and purely listen and engage with what that person is saying with our whole selves rather than just the part of the brain that's not trying to figure out the intelligent answer 
possibly yeah. what we're going to give next. I feel mm-hmm. like, I don't know whether this is a cultural thing or something, but I feel like that's the pattern of our conversation is that we partition there's a little bit, there's an, enough of us listening to, to what someone's saying so that we can respond with something that makes us feel good about ourselves <laughs> and feel smart or feel clever or feel superior or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but to enter a um, conversation or a situation humbly and not be able to, to necessarily answer smartly because you actually just fully listen to someone else that is that I find that really hard, but and it is enough. Something I'd love to get better at. <laughs> oh, and Luke, it, you paused for ages. Then we're frozen. Oh, oh, oh did I? It was a really good point, but then you kind of went, which which bit did I pause? <laughs> oh, I don't know, but like we were both left there, and you were frozen. Um, oh, you're saying okay. I was on a massive monologue. <laughs> this is our this is our test for listening. <laughs> <laughs> you were talk- you were talking about the importance of listening with your whole self. Yes, yeah, okay. Well, maybe I'll just finish that thought. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, I think you were going for how can we listen? Yeah. What our what our culture usually does. Yep. The the norms yeah, okay. of a conversation yep. right. and then and then yeah, I don't know where you're going, but I'm guessing Okay, I'll sp- I'll sp- I'll say it again from Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. No worries. Um, yeah, so I think our, our culture conditions us to kind of partition our brain so that the uh, part of our brain is thinking about listening and what the person's saying, but then probably in equal parts, the other part of our brain is trying to say something, think about what we're going to say that's going to make us feel really good and smart and um, clever or superior or whatever it is. Um, but the skill, I guess, that I would really like to get better at and I think that is really important for communities is to just be able to sit and listen without the expectation on ourselves to respond with something intelligent or meaningful or good but actually just be there and listen and absorb fully what the other person is saying and that's actually more caring and more compassionate for that other person than if you try and say something clever at the end because what they really want and what we've talked about is we want people mm. to journey with us and to really hear us deeply. Mm. That's a challenge for myself, but I think maybe for, for a lot of us and how we hold spaces together. Because well, I don't think you can fake that. So people know when you're actually listening. And I, I think it's quite difficult to listen with your whole self, like you described unless you have genuine uh, sense of care or compassion mm-hmm. for the person that you're listening to, you can't, you can't fake interest because the other person can tell. <laughs> Your eyes start to glaze over or you're looking past them or, uh, you know, we just give away all of these nonverbal cues that we've started to disengage. Um, so it is actually... It's a, it's a posture of the heart before it's a posture of, you know, the ear, if you like, um, that we have to actually attend, attend to the other, the other person in front of us with um, genuine interest and concern and then the rest will, will follow. Yeah, that's great. 
That's a good one liner, Linda. Posture of the heart, not a before a posture of the ear. <laughs> Put that on a mug or something. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Make some t-shirts. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll leave that with you. <laughs> <laughs> I really like it though. Genuinely. <laughs> That's great. So maybe to to round us out then, thinking about ourselves and practices perhaps that we could do to help us to pay attention to ourselves, to the lament and the praise, to the to the positive and negative, if you want to label it that way, to those things. What what would you recommend? What are what are some things that we can do to help us to, to be attentive? Um I guess for me, I when I was thinking about that question, I was thinking of taking a stance of mindfulness. So I guess mindfulness is like three different components, one of them being um, curiosity, um, observing, and non-judgment. So really being curious about what's coming up, trying not to judge judge whatever's coming up for you, um, and accepting that it's there, allowing it to be there, and getting really curious about what that experience is, is like for you. Mm-hmm. So where do you feel that in your body? Um, is it at a particular spot? If you thought of that emotion, you know, what texture would it be? What colour would it be? Um, what shape would it be even? You know, really getting curious about that emotion on a, on a, a deeper level mm. as you're allowed to be there. And then even if you can, you don't always have to, um, but try to, to name what that feels like if, you, if, you, if it has a name, that emotion coming up. Because sometimes when we can name it, it can help us process it and, and make sense of it. So, if, you know, for me, my go-to is probably anxiety. I, I feel my chest feels a little bit more tired or my heart's fluttering a bit. I might feel a bit shaky in my body. And I, if you look at those experiences in isolation, it can feel really overwhelming and uncomfortable. But if I lean into it a bit more and really allow it to be there and notice it, then I can go, oh, okay, I'm feeling a bit anxious right now all these things are going on yep for me my anxiety is a energized ball of like I don't know what color it would be what color would it be maybe like a red or a yellow um but it's got a lot of energy and it moves around a lot and it feels really uncomfortable and it's often in my chest um but it goes to my hands sometimes too and um really allowing it to be there um and creating space for it even visualizing creating space for it. And for me, what helps me sometimes is um, even, it may sound a bit weird, but when you, if you're noticing your breath, imagining creating, as you take more breaths, that you're creating space for that feeling to be there, like opening up space within you for, for that feeling to be there. Um, and then like Linda was saying, I think really getting in touch with your body and what, what your body's needing in that um in that moment um so for me if I feel really anxious sometimes I need to move my body I need to go for a walk um get into nature stretch but but with not the intention of trying to get rid of it Mm. it's it's I'm feeling anxious what do I need right now as I kind of ride the wave of this feeling Mm. like allowing it to be there Mm. um and I guess it's going to be different for for every person some people might find sport or going for a bike ride or you know or um laying on the grass 
putting your feet on the grass and noticing the grass under your feet, you know, grounding, something like that. Some people love journaling. Some people really get into meditation. They find that that really helps. Um, breathing, you know, and meditation have multiple benefits. It's, it's, it's about like psycho on a psychological level. It's about you're putting your attention, using your attention as a spotlight to, to get in touch with the present moment. Um, which can be really helpful, but then it also, as you slow down your breath, um, it can actually it triggers that. Um, it can really help settle our nervous system and send signals of safety to to our bodies, especially if the feeling that we're feeling is 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 one where we're feeling quite um, nervous or scared or you know any of those ones that feel uncomfortable. Um, and I think that. That would be, yeah, my, I guess the way that, that work, what works for me um, to help with that. Yeah. Thanks, Ash. Oh, wait, I just had a, sorry, I just, I just, no, you go, Linda, sorry. No, no, that's all right. So, complete, complete your thought, Ash. Oh, no, the one thing that I was going to say, I knew there was something missing. The one thing that really helps me is viewing, you know, this is another, I guess, act metaphor acceptance commitment therapy metaphor of like the emotion your emotions are like the weather mm. you know they're ever changing day to day sometimes it's cloudy sometimes it's stormy sometimes it's a bright blue sky but you or me I'm the sky so I'm I'm always there no matter whether I feel like there's a storm raging or whether it's a bright sunny sky I'm still there but sometimes it's hard to kind of get in touch or sometimes it's a bit harder to see mm. clearly um, on any given day, but also holding on to the reality that, that the weather is always changing. Mm. Um, we can always try for constant blue skies, but if we always had blue skies, we'd be in drought and we wouldn't have food and, you know, all those kind of things. So <laughs> allowing that, that, that it, the weather does need to change. It can't stay the same forever. And, and I guess that goes with both feelings that we really love and feelings that we find more uncomfortable to feel. Mm. And I think that yeah. that metaphor has really helped me over the years. It's um, such a great picture. Yeah. yeah. It reminds me of another one. I've heard a similar thing in it. For me, it was helpful a way of visualising, I guess, what meditation practices can do, which is it's kind of almost the opposite in mm. sense though which was like the sort of the raging waters that we can kind of feel like we're on this inner storm on the ocean but sometimes to 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 meditate to sit in silence with god and actually draw us deeper into ourselves and i think in connection with god but that depth allows us to to sink below the raging waters of the storm and we can kind of look up and mm. see yeah oh, it's, it's crazy up there and that's mm -hmm. the felt reality of life, but that oh, I'm here and I can sink below the the craziness that still exists and and be okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's yeah, that's the, like like your picture as well. That's the gift of of um, yeah, slowing down and silence. Mm. And meditation. Mm. How about you, Linda? Any thoughts? Oh, I I I mean, I would um, just agree with what you know both of you have shared um as being you know very relevant and helpful um practices and 
I think one of the key things that you just mentioned there, Luke, is the slowing down. I think that's probably the obstacle for most people is being able to carve out that little bit of extra time to pay attention, uh, to actually attend to emotion rather than bulldozing through it or you know, just dismissing it. Mm. And then it's all stored up and it maybe comes out when you're on your two-week vacation (laughs) yeah Um, and and so recognizing the value of processing continuously rather than exploding intermittently yeah that's true um is is something that you 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 have to come to that level of commitment yourself nobody else can do it for you Mm. um but if you can find a way whether it's the it's journaling or it's meditation or it's it's even having um you know you don't need very many but one or two friendships or relationships where you know that that person can be um maybe the first place where you start to unpack something which you will then reflect on more deeply after the conversation yeah so it doesn't have to be these things that feel like a little bit too out of reach because, oh, I can't go to therapy or, you know, those people, you know, actually studied psychology, of course she can do that. It, it really what it is, is is just finding ways in the course of your every day mm. to start to pay attention. And then, you know, one of the approaches that I like which is in the vein of the mindfulness that Ashley's talked about is this approach of soften, soothe and allow is just when you feel an emotion coming or you, you recognize, you know, I think we're much, it's much harder for us to experience lament than praise. Um, So it's probably why we focus on the lament, but when that's coming is to actually just allow yourself to soften into that emotion and allow it to be there and then to the the soothe element there is actually just reassuring yourself it's okay it's okay to feel this to to acknowledge what's happening and and remind yourself it's okay to feel anger it's okay to feel sadness and soften the edges of that experience and you know there's meditation and visualizations you can do around that concept where you actually do as Ashley described, zone, you know, focusing on where this is happening in your body and allowing it to, to flow out. But I'll, I'll just even starting that process of paying attention to your feelings and knowing that they are a very valid and valuable part of who you are, but they're not the sum, you know, they are not your identity. You know, I am not anger. I, I experience anger but I'm not anger, neither am I depression or anxiety, but sometimes I feel depressed and sometimes I feel anxious. And once we make peace with those things, then we're more inclined to want to spend time having a conversation with them. <laughs> so I guess they're my, my thoughts to add to what you guys shared, which was really amazing. Can, can I also just say that, um, sorry, Luke, um, if if you've experienced, I guess, trauma or, or have have that in your your history, then it may it, this this might actually feel quite overwhelming and unsafe, and, and that's okay. Because mm. I and I think that's important to acknowledge that 
sometimes these practices like meditation or, or um, really trying to hone in on certain things, it, it can actually be too much. Um, so if you if you have experienced trauma and you're feeling that that is quite triggering, I think it's important to know that, that that's okay and just to take a step back. And I think um, it's important that to have that, foundation of, of safety within your within yourself and your body um, before you may want to go down any of those I guess practices and doing it in a way that is uh, quite staged um, mm. yeah I just wanted to throw that in there too yeah that's important that's good. Mm. as you were speaking before Linda I just thought maybe just to give a, an example or well, one that I've, I've found found helpful is um, the examine, and it mm-hmm. just, which is a practice that um, people, yeah, can look up, and there's heaps of things online that people could um, do, and I, I like it because it incorporates a bit of what we've kind of been talking about here, but also bring brings this the spiritual kind of connection with God in there, and all it is is mm-hmm. simple practice of just being mindful, looking back over normally just the day that's just gone by, so it would be like a kind of nighttime practice, and you sort of look over it with thankfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess not to be just thinking about just the positives, but be engaging with all, all spectrum of experience over that day. And then um, depending on the particular exam that you do, somehow you're kind of bringing those things to God and um, holding them, yeah, non-judgmentally and seeing that all God doesn't hold those, those things or experiences or actions of ours judgmentally towards us either. They mm. are and we are loved by by our creator in the midst of anything that we deem good or bad or anywhere in between. And so, yeah, it's a really lovely, um, I think, practice that could that is really easy to do and, can t- you know, you could do it in three minutes or you could, you could easily spend half an hour doing it. Mm. Um, so, that, yeah, I recommend that to anyone that is wanting something to, to try. Um, the examine, I've got like an app on my phone I think it's called reimagining the examine or the examine reimagined or something like that. Yeah. But it's yeah, it's really it's a really really nice way of um, of being able to just look back and engage all those things together. So that's that's one thing I'd I'd recommend. Yeah, I I agree. I also use um, an examine and find it quite powerful because I think what it does do is encapsulate that reality that all, what all of us really want is some sense of reassurance that we can show up as we really are and still belong and mm. still be accepted. Yeah. And we, we strive to find that place in community, but oftentimes we haven't actually come to terms in doing it for ourselves. Like before I can actually show up as who I really am <laughs> to another human, I have to actually be able to show up and admit who I really am to myself. And once I've begun that process, then I can actually find what I'm looking for, which is, you know, the to experience the acceptance and the unconditional love of God and the belonging of God's community and faith. Um, but I have to actually start by being honest with myself and that can be quite terrifying at times. But I think the examine is actually a beautiful scaffolding that leads you into that because 
it helps you hold the tension of the things that have been hard and that you want to, um, you know, process and then the things that you're grateful for. So, yeah, I uh, 100% agree. I think it's a really great model to use. Very good. Well, Ashley, Linda, thank you so much. Um, you guys are thank you. wise be, beyond your, your very few years. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. That, as yeah, that, 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 that one was. That was for Ashley. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you so much. I think there's been so much that we've um, explored there that is really it was really helpful. So no worries. Very much appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank Thanks, you. Luke.